We're in a life of faith, and we've been going through this for months now, and looking at Abraham, we're in Isaac's life now, his son, and sort of going into Jacob, his son's, uh, Isaac's son's life. And we've been looking at this whole idea of, of brokenness, and sometimes, as I've said often here, that the scriptures... I guess if I was to have written the Bible or you would have written the Bible and it was about your family especially, you probably would have left out the bad things. Um, And that's why I really don't think the Bible was written solely by man. I mean, he used men to write, but it was God's word that was breathed out through their pen. So that today, as we open up the Bible, we have God's preserved word before us. And when God wrote his book, he included not only the good things, but the bad things. A lot of bad things. Uh, things that we would look at and say, well, that, that kind of brings shame if you were in that family or this was happening. And the reality is this, we're all in broken families. We're all in, broken, in a broken world, a world of sin. And sin touches us one way or another. And I do not know of any perfect families in this world since really the very first of Adam and Eve before sin. After that, sin came into the picture. And the Bible reveals to us the great message of God, which is that he didn't just leave us in our sin. He didn't just leave us to figure out how to do this on our own, because we wouldn't have been able to. We continue to go away from God in our sin, because our hearts are bent that way. But God instead gave us his son, God the son, Jesus, who came, lived among us, and walked these same dusty trails that all of us walk, And the sin of the world would be placed upon him at the cross of Calvary. And God reveals to us in the Bible the hope and the plan of redemption, of being brought back into the the relationship and the standing that we need before God, that sinners can't because sin excludes us. But Christ is now able to make us righteous or bring us into that position of righteousness. And I'm thankful for that. And that's really the story of the Bible, all right? Uh, and that's why we, as we go through these, we uh, expositionally go through Scripture, and as we come to passages, we cover it as much as we can. And we, we look at those things. Well, we were, this is part two of a message that we began last week, and uh, this is on uh, stolen identity, all right? And I found it interesting because just this morning, and I'll, I'll go to this here now, Uh, Just this morning, as I opened up my email, there was an email that came in. It was actually from the church's website. Someone had uh, filled this out, and you may not be able to read it from where you're sitting, but it says, My name is Dr. Jones Morgan, CEO of Greenfield Oil. I went through your website seeing the good works you are doing for the advance of God's kingdom. I thought, well, when I first read that, I thought, well, that's okay. All right. I don't know of any oil executives that are really probably doing that this morning on Sunday. But anyways, I am so blessed and motivated through your teachings. Boy, that sounds good. I felt, I felt proud, you know. <laughs> anyways, uh, I appreciate God for using you through your teachings and prayers and, and to revive my faith and show me the fullness of, it, fullness of his grace. And then he goes like this. I ordered my bank officer from the Royal Bank of Scotland to issue a cashier's check of $15,400. All right. You've all gotten these kind of emails, right? I can tell just by your faces. Like most of us are sitting here going, yeah, right, you know. And as I went down through that, of course, the, the email address isn't from the Bank of Scotland. And it's not quite, you know, the underlying things. And I, I blacked them out there just in case Google thinks I'm spamming you this morning and shuts our video down. I don't know. 
Um, but I, I just say it this way. We've all gotten those kind of um, emails, right? Or these little links or a Facebook message or something like that. And uh, if you're not careful today, it's very easy. The, the number one thing that goes on with that is someone tries to either steal your identity or to get your bank account information. And I suspect he would, this person underneath this, whoever it is, um, would probably want either of those, right? Although he's not going to get much out of the bank but, uh, from my bank account. But I just say it this way, that, that we've all been maybe, you know, had those kind of things where someone attempts to do something. And one of the worst things that can happen is when someone steals your identity and then does something bad with it, right? And it's very hard to clean that up. And, of course, there's lots of companies out there today that are making money on trying to keep that from happening or to fix that. Well, what we read of here in Genesis chapter 27 is a case of stolen identity. So that's not a new modern thing. It, it predates email, but stolen identity goes way back, all right? goes back into uh, previous uh, generations by thousands of years, okay? So we're going to look at that this morning. And last week we looked at this idea of broken pieces as, as far as a family that was, um, had some issues going on, right? And we saw Isaac. Isaac is getting ready to pass off the scene Uh, He's old. He knows his days are coming to a close here on this earth. And he's lost his eyesight. And Rebecca, his wife, decides she's going to deceive um, Isaac into giving the blessing on not the older son and also the son that Isaac preferred, which was Esau, but rather on Jacob, who was the younger son. Uh, And she schemes to... To do this along with Jacob and and the blessing, an official blessing that would have been handed on to that generation uh, of uh, his descendants was given instead to Jacob and not Esau. Now, actually, that was in keeping with what God had said would happen. He had revealed that to Isaac years before. And we've looked at that before, how that uh, sometimes I think people, if you took anything out of last week's message, is that people try to get ahead of God. And instead of doing it God's way, which would have been interesting, but Isaac could have very easily called Jacob into his presence and blessed him and said, everything that I have is going to be yours. And that would have made his brother probably still pretty mad. But instead, they seek to deceive Isaac to get the same thing. And God, and by the way, sin is never without consequences. And when you try to steal somebody's identity, that's always consequences, right, to everybody involved, those kind of things. So we saw that. We saw Rebecca's deception. She gets in there and she tries to deceive. And by the way, she, she was good at that. And she also learned it from her husband. There were times he lied, remember, and said, she's my sister, not my wife, those things. And he learned that probably from the previous generation. And, and, and you look at those kind of times where deception is played and at the nearing the end of Jacob, uh, Isaac's life, uh, that goes on. No, we come to today's part, this part three, and we're going to see Jacob's defense. All right, he's going to defend this whole scheme that has now come up, and he he buys right into it with his mother. Um, once this thing is in motion, really, there's no backing out, and so uh, one deceptive measure only can be backed up with another deceptive measure. And so we're going to look at that today. And go through that. But we're going to start with uh, Genesis chapter 27 and in verse 18. So he went to his father and he said, My father. And he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? 
And that question was posed because Isaac had sent Esau out to get game. Because remember, Esau wanted a meal, or excuse me, Isaac wanted a meal. And he was, that's really what he was concerned was. He was concerned about fleshly things and not spiritual things. And he sends the son, who's the hunter, the son, who's the wild, rough man, you know, out. And instead, the soft guy, Jacob, is left in the house. And so this son comes up, and he can't see him. His eyes are blind. He says, who are you, my son? And Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done just as you told me. Please arise, sit and eat of my game, that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, how is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? I mean, after all, Esau had just been sent off a little while before that, and he must have been really lucky to get uh, you know, some venison in that short amount of time and have it all prepared and everything else. And, of course, you know previous verses, uh, Rebekah had schemed, and she went and said, go get a goat. And I'll make the goat taste like good venison, you know. And that's what she did, basically. And there's this whole plan in place. And he goes on to say, and he, and he said, because the Lord your God brought it to me. Oh boy, we'll come back to that. Isaac said to Jacob, please come near that I may feel you, my son, whether you are really my son Esau or not. Remember, Esau was a hairy man and Jacob was not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, and he felt him. And he said, the voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. Well, how did he feel hairy? We read in the previous verses. The mother said, take the skin of the goat and put the skin on the back of your hands. And, and uh, when your father feels you there and on the back of your neck, he'll feel that hair. Right? I'm paraphrasing, but that was the plan. you know. And that's what he did. So he put this stuff on. I can only imagine what it looked like for people that actually could see it. Definitely, it would have been like, this is absolutely crazy. It isn't going to work. But yet, Isaac, he's in a bad spot. He's in decline, both physically and spiritually. And really, there's a picture here that his eyes were not really ready to evaluate this, his spiritual eyes as well, in a good way. And he goes on to say, the voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. And so he blessed him. Then he said, are you really my son Esau? (laughs) It's too late now. He's blessed him, right? And he said, I am. And he said, bring it near to me and I will eat of my son's game so that my soul may bless you. And so he brought it near to him and he ate it and he brought him wine and he drank. Then his father, Isaac, said to him, Come near now and kiss me, my son. And he came near and kissed him, and he smelled the smell of his clothing. Now remember, the clothing was actually Esau's clothing. And it smelled like an outdoorsman, whatever that smells like. I don't know. I do know, because I know when I go outdoors and for a few days and you come back, your wife says, Time to take a shower right now. Get those clothes off. But anyways, it goes on, it says, And blessed him and said, Surely the smell of my son is like the smell of a field which the Lord has blessed. Therefore, may God give you of the dew of heaven, of the fatness of the earth, and plenty of grain and wine, and let peoples serve you, and nations bow down to you. Be master over your brethren, and let your mother's sons bow down to you. 
Cursed be everyone who curses you, and blessed be those who bless you. Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful for your word, and as we open it, we recognize that it is your word, not ours. We ask even now, Lord, you would just teach us as only you can, instruct us, and may we go in the way of, of righteousness following you today, following the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen. Well, we see Jacob's defense here, and as I said earlier, uh, the defense is really one of lies, continual lies. And the very first one is that stolen identity. When his, he comes to his father, and, and his father says, uh, who are you, my son? He knew it was one of his sons, and he says, I'm Esau. And he begins that deception that goes on. So he went to his father and, and said, my father, and he said, here I am, who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. That's, that is important because, remember, legally and culturally, in that day, by default, I say legally, and it has been even to this day in most places, that the oldest of the children that are born, and the sons, in this case, of the, the oldest son, would be the one that would be the rightful heir of the property and the blessing of their father all right when the father passes on and Esau was that rightful heir in accordance with the culture and the world's law all right but not according to what God was going to do because God had already told him before that the older uh, would serve the younger and that was already foretold and God was going to do it that way And God would use even the actions of sin to accomplish his greater purpose. And I've always said this, that sometimes I can't explain that. You know, like to say if if a sovereign God allows these evil acts to happen or sinful acts or the deception of stolen identity and yet his purpose is accomplished, it, it seems like why would God do that? And I could just say this that you have to rest in is that God is so powerful that even when people who have wills disobey and they exercise their will away from God God still accomplishes his purpose which is the greater purpose of having his will done even though we're still responsible for our sin and and God is like that one bad decision Jack Karen makes today will not stop an almighty God's plan for everything and I'm glad because when I make bad decisions or I sin Uh, and do those things, or you sin, listen, it doesn't stop what God's going to accomplish. And we can rest assured in that. And for those that are His, you can know this, the Bible uh, talks about that, they were predestined to be conformed into His image, right? His Son's image. What I am now is not what I will be. And it's a good thing, because I want to be more like Christ. And yes, we can be more like Christ today and walk closer to him. And I hope you are. But someday I will actually be like Jesus in the eternal state in heaven. And there won't be any more struggles with sin or selfish thoughts or all the other things that go on every day. Or just the fact of the physical tiredness that goes on in our mortal bodies. Someday that's all going to be done away with. And I'll be in his presence. And I, amen, I, I, wanna, I want that day. I want that day. But a name. There's a lot that could be wrapped up in a name. Remember Jacob's name. 
Jacob actually means uh, supplanter, or it's often uh, translated deceiver. And his name carries with it the idea of someone who is always trying to undermine or to supplant or to, to deceive. And isn't it interesting, that's the character he is <laughs> in most of his life. Not all. He's still a man of faith. And he's numbered as that. Esau was not a man of faith. He was, uh, he was really someone who was more concerned about the here and now and living in this world. And that was his entire life wrapped up in that. And it would get him in trouble. The name. The book of Proverbs says this. A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches. Loving favor rather than silver and gold. You know that to maintain a good name... Is really, really important. That's why we were talking about the whole issue of stolen identity, why it's so bad, because someone might take my name and go out, I have good credit, and then they go and they do something really bad and they buy something with my name and they don't pay for it, and then guess who's stuck with the name? Me. And you, you, you know that, how that, all that works. That's why you want to protect your good name. But you know, beyond that, those things are malicious. You can't might always stop that. That does happen, by the way. But, but you can work on having a good name here. Is your yes a yes or your no a no? Is your word good? It always should be. Today, if you purchase a major purchase, you've got to sign away your whole life, right? You know, about, you know remember when we bought our house uh, almost nine years ago now? You know, you've got a stack of paper by the time you're done that's this thick, and you've gone through all that process to purchase a house and promise that you're going to pay for it for the next 30 years, right? And yet, it really should be so much easier for the Christian just to shake a hand and say, you know what, I'm going to do it. And unfortunately, that's not the story of mankind, is it? But a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches. Are you willing to take a financial hit in your life to maintain a good name? Are you willing to, to keep your good name in, if, you know, hopefully it's good, right? If you're, you're willing to have that good name, that reputation. Sometimes we put our reputation out there and we don't want to lose or we secure that reputation and we don't want to be ashamed, right? Sometimes it's, a, it's this. We, I, I don't know if I want to be associated as a Christian in this group. This group's going to make fun of me. Maybe it's somebody at work or somebody you know, a friend even, or a family member, and you, you kind of back off. Well, listen, if you name the name of Christ and you're walking with the Lord and you maintain a good name with Him, listen, we have His name. And yes, the world despises the name of Christ. Jesus said it this way, if they hate you, it is because they hated me first. And that's true. Somebody hates you and makes fun of you, well, that's, let it be for the right reasons. That first and foremost, they hate Jesus. I wish they'd love him, but some don't. Make sure you're following Jesus. Why? Because his name is the only name for salvation absolutely the only name in the book of acts chapter 4 says this nor is there salvation in any other for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved do you realize it's jesus christ who's the savior and none other and i'm glad because he's the only one that ever walked this earth that was perfect he never sinned 
He was God in the flesh. That's the incarnation, the doctrine of the incarnation. We study, we, uh, uh, you know, we, we celebrate Christmas every year and we celebrate that act of God putting on flesh and living among us. He was yet fully man, but fully God. And his name was above all of the names. There's no other name given among men, under heaven given among men, whereby or by which we must be saved. You won't find salvation any other way. You won't find it in your name. You won't find it in, in, in the name of, of some man or woman that's been born in this earth, some, whatever history that is, or some ism of some sort. You'll only find it in Christ. You know, as a, as a Christian, you bear the name of Christ. If you identify as a Christian. And that's way back, by the way, in Acts chapter 11, we read of that when Saul was brought to Antioch. Look what it says. And when he had found him, he was brought, brought him to Antioch. So it was that the whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. That's Saul and Barnabas. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Literally, Christian was, it was a, a term that not only did Christians begin calling themselves, but it was a term that the world outside of Christianity called them. They had, up to that point, had been sort of lumped together with Judaism because most of the church was Jewish in background and had become followers of Messiah, Jesus. And they, they had sort of this idea that for those that didn't believe in Jesus said, well, that's just an offshoot of Judaism that's gone the wrong way. And then for a while they were called people of the way. People of the way because they believed in a way that was the only way, which was through Christ. So that term, the way, is also used early on in church history to identify Christians. But when they were first called Christians, it was in a place called Antioch in Syria. And it was there that they began to be numbered as such. And so it's perfectly biblical to say, I'm a Christian. But remember, you bear the name of Christ. And a good name is important, isn't it? Because sometimes there's people that go and say, I'm a Christian, and they don't even live like a Christian. I had to laugh because any of you have ever, um, probably years ago now, um, seen the pineapple story. Remember that? It was by Otto Koning. He was a missionary in Irianjara. And the, the testimony of Otto Koning is fun. I, I tell you, he was he's very, you know, just very real. He was a missionary. He went there to work with this group of tribal people that were there. And he's ministering to them. And he decided he'd plant a pineapple garden. And the only problem was this, that the, uh, the natives who were there would steal his pineapples before they even got ripe. So it began to be this really struggle that he would try to save some pineapples and he would hide them sometimes and he would put leaves over them, but they always found them and they always stole them at night. He says, so you either had to stay up all night or whatever. He even went and had a, a, a German shepherd dog come in by, like people had to fly in to their station. And he said, I had an airplane pilot come in and you know missionary pilot and he brought a, a german shepherd and he says you should have seen the people they all gathered around the plane thinking they were getting something you know like supplies and all that and this dog jumped out and he says they ran away 
Six weeks after they had all run away, and he and his wife had been sitting there on this grand vacation, they began to get convicted that if we don't get rid of this dog, the people won't come back. I mean, literally, it was just them in this station, the missionary station, this, this little village. Everybody else had run for the hills, almost lost their entire ministry because they were trying to protect a pineapple garden. And Otto Koning talks about that, how he got so angry with the people and he was trying to do this and he was trying to do that. And, and, and it just went on for like, like two or three years, if I remember correct. And in the process of this, he finally gave up his pineapple garden to the Lord. And it's a great story. I won't go into all the details with it, but it just really is. When he did that, God began to work. And the people saw such a change in him this is what one of the tribal elders said to him. He called him uh, Tuan, white man. He says, Tuan, he says, why are you so different? And he says, well, I, I have you know, given my garden over to, to God and all that. And he says, Tuan, you became a Christian. Oh boy, here's the missionary. He just got accused of becoming a Christian finally. After being there for like three years. And he says, I really felt bad. He says, I felt bad because... And, and the, the guy said this. He says, Tuan, you've always told us about Christians, but we never met one. Wow. There he is. Well, the Lord used that. And the Lord got a hold of that. And by the way, to this day, uh, Otto Koning can't get away from pineapples. Everywhere he goes, people give him pineapples, you know, because he's known as the, the missionary with a pineapple story. And, and he's got another story out too. But um, anyways, I'll say all that just to, to go back to this whole point. Sometimes we say, you should become a Christian. And maybe you're living or you're acting so far from what a Christian should be like that people don't want that kind of Christianity. And they can easily use it as an excuse. Well, if that's a Christian, I don't want to be a Christian. The Bible puts it this way. The memory of the righteous is blessed, but the name of the wicked will rot. Think of that. I was uh, stopped by the graveyard yesterday, our, our cemetery, and I, I was alone there, and I walked again around. I was putting a, a, a little white cross by Mike Sonier's grave, because the tombstone's not there yet. And I always am just reminded of the people that are there. And, and I thought about that, and I, I, I saw some of those names, you know. And every time I see them, I think of, those that are the righteous, those that lived in the faith, those that finished well. Some didn't finish well, but, but listen, the memory of the blessed, right? The righteous is blessed, excuse me, but the name of the wicked will rot. There's graves out there you can go to, some infamous murderer or some dictator somewhere that was involved in the slaughter of, of thousands or millions even, and you know what? It's still rotten because their name is trash. Don't let your name be counted with the wicked. We see Jacob's defense. He lied about his name, he lied about food and the Lord. Look at the next verses. Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done just as you told me. Please arise, sit, and eat my game, that your soul may bless me. 
But Isaac said to his son, How is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? And he said, Because the Lord your God brought it to me. Well, we have lie upon lie. We find lie number two is that first Jacob claims to have obeyed his father's wishes. You remember, Jacob was not the son that his father instructed. He gave Esau the instruction and Rebekah heard it, overheard it, and she schemes to put Jacob in a deceptive plot. Lie number two. And then lie number three. He says, please arise, sit, and eat my game. Now, was he eating wild game? No, he was eating goat. And I think at this point, Isaac was so hungry, he just wanted something delicious, right? And he, he's going to bite down into this goat, and he's going to think it's somehow venison. Please arise, sit, and eat my game. It wasn't game, and it wasn't his. He even gave credit to the Lord for helping him. And this is lie number four. He comes back quickly because Esau is still out there hunting. Probably will be for a while. And here he has this meal already so soon. And when he is confronted about that, you got to keep deceiving if you're going to follow through. He says, because the Lord, your God, brought it to me. And you know what? What he does right there verges on blasphemy. And I, I have over the years had people actually do that. Where you confront them about a sin or something they're doing in their life and they say, the Lord led me to do that. Or they're doing some action in their life and, and it's just, there's no fruits of righteousness there. There's no peace, there's no joy, there's no love, there, there's no self-control. There's you know, all those fruits of the Spirit that Galatians 5 uh, talks about and and all these things and everything says they're doing what is not from god and they turn and look at you and say well the lord is leading me to do this it's the spiritual thing to do right and you know you can argue with those things when you point out well if it's of the lord this is what you should see but it's a quick excuse and Isaac is not in a place spiritually where he should be. He doesn't even really recognize that that this isn't of the Lord. This is of the flesh. This is a deceptive plot, and he's part of that plan. But you know, you'll never, ever escape the eye of God. Back to the pineapple story. One of the things that happened in that time uh, was that when... Uh, remember I mentioned Otto Koning's little garden, his pineapple garden there. In, he says they always stole the fruit at night. Why? Because it was under the cover of darkness. They, they wouldn't go out there and steal it when you could watch them stealing it, although they did at the beginning. But it was one that was dark. So when Otto Koning gave his garden over to God, he didn't tell him he gave it to God. He just told him, I gave my garden away. And it was an interesting thing in their culture, the people that were there. They felt they could not steal from somebody if they didn't know who it was. So now they stopped stealing because they were worried that if they stole, like for instance, in their culture and their mindset and spiritism, animism, they believed that 
you know, there were witch doctors that could throw, you know, put curses on you and those kind of things. And maybe the missionary gave it to the witch doctor and the witch doctor might make you cursed. So they needed to know whose it was. He told them, he didn't, he said, I'll tell you, I'll tell you another time. Well, that really bothered them. They, they couldn't steal from somebody they didn't know who owned the garden. Finally, he told them about God owning the garden. The only problem is that he kept on teaching them a little bit about God, and he taught them that God is all-seeing, all-knowing. He's omniscient. And when it began to dawn on the people who were stealing from the garden that God could see even in the darkness, they began to realize that their sin was before a holy God. And it was then that they understood as sinners that they needed salvation. And it's a beautiful story of redemption, really, what took place in that tribe. But I, I say all that because it's sometimes we aren't in the place where we should be. And we don't recognize that. And yet God is able to see even in the dark. Isaac could have gone to the Lord and prayed and said, Lord, please reveal something's not quite right here he smells like Esau and and feels like Esau but he he doesn't sound like him sounds like Jacob but we don't see him going to the Lord instead he relies on his feeling be careful your feelings are deceptive aren't they I'll move along here Uh, there are other accounts in that and by the way in I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, but Acts chapter 5 is that account of Ananias and Sapphira. And they, they did the same thing that um, Jacob did in the sense that they pretended that something was from the Lord. Or in this case, in their case, they actually held back something that the Lord had put on their hearts. And they pretended to be more spiritual than they really were. And the story in Acts chapter 5 verses 1 to 11 is a story, sad story, where two people who were named among the Christians that were gathered there come in to pretend to give to the Lord in front of people, pretending to be more spiritual than they really were, and they were holding back a part that they knew God was, had put on their heart to give, and people brought them out in a pine box. Well, probably not a pine box then, but you know, that's how they left that assembly. They left being carried out by people who were carrying their bodies. And you know, the accusation of Peter was this, that they, he says, you lied, you lied to the Holy Spirit. And then he says, you've not lied unto man, but unto God. Think about that. When you lie to the Spirit of God, you, the Holy Spirit, you lie to God. All right? Because he is God, the Holy Spirit, part of the triune God. The next thing is this. He lied about his identity and love. Let's look at that. Genesis chapter 27, verse 21. Isaac said to Jacob, Please come near me that I may feel you, my son, whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, and he felt him and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. And so he blessed him. Then he said, Are you really my son Esau? And he said, I am. And he said, Bring it near to me, and I will eat of my son's game, so that my soul may bless you. And so he brought it near to him, and he ate, and he brought him wine, and he drank. And then his father Isaac said to him, Come near now and kiss me, my son. 
And he came near and kissed him, and he smelled the smell of his clothing and blessed, blessed him and said, Surely the smell of my son is like the smell of a field which the Lord has blessed. Everything about this whole scene is one of the here and now and the physical. It's the feeling and the smells and those things. And yet, somewhere back in Isaac's mind is this little notion that this something's not quite right. But he doesn't go there. And he doesn't seek the Lord on that. And I think what the, the culmination of this deception comes, comes when he says, Come near, my son, and I'll kiss you. And here's Jacob. And I'm wondering what Jacob's thinking. Like, this, this is it. He's going to know for sure if I get that close. But his mother's done a good job in the deceptive plot. She's put the right clothes on and she's made sure the skins are on the right places and all of that. And then when he goes to kiss his father, his father says, this is my son Esau. It wasn't Esau. Sometimes we, people can be deceptive. They can put on a sort of an aura of spirituality that really isn't what they are. I think of it even with those that were closest to Jesus. He chooses 12 disciples. He knew everything about each one. He even knew one would betray him. And he knew which one would betray him. His name was Judas. The other disciples, even up to the last minute, didn't know who was going to be the one to betray Jesus. You remember, as Jesus says, one of you will betray me, they began to question one another, is it me, Lord? Is it me? Sometimes I feel that way, like, Lord, I, I know I can let you down. I, I, can, I can do things that would betray you, God, and it, I don't want that. But there was one sitting there at that table, and he was going to betray the Lord. He would go, and for 30 pieces of silver, he would sell out Jesus to his enemies. Those that had already gathered false witnesses to bring against accusation against Jesus. And there he would go in the darkness of the garden at night. And he would bring a whole mob with him. And Judas would say this, the one whom I kiss, it is him. And he betrays Jesus with a kiss. Sadly, Jacob would betray his father with a kiss. By the way, it's not the end of Jacob though. One of the great things we find about Jacob is that he was a man that was willing to repent. It was not the end of his life. If we only had this scene in Jacob's life, we would say, oh, you know, this guy's written off. And yet we know that God was going to still use Jacob. He was going to have sons. And those sons, out of that lineage of his children, would come one day, one who was named Jesus. And he would rise up out of the tribe of Judah. This part of the lineage of Jacob. And all the world would be blessed because of the Savior who would come out of the family of Jacob. Luke chapter 22 verse 48. Jesus said to him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? Be careful. The last part, and I won't spend much time on this other than to, to say this, that you find Esau comes back. He's worked hard. He's gone, looked and found some game. He's got that game now, and he's come back to prepare it. When he gets back there, he finds out, oh no, my father has given away my birthright. 
in a, in a sense. He gave it in the, in, the, in the fact that he would end up being blessed or blessed the wrong son, but yet it was the right son. Genesis 27 verse 30 says, Now it happened as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, and Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac his father, that Esau his brother came in from his hunting. He also had made savory food and brought it to his father and said to his father, Let my father arise and eat of his son's game, that your soul may bless me. And his father Isaac said to him, Who are you? So he said, I am your son, your firstborn, Esau. Then Isaac trembled exceedingly and said, Who? Where is the one who hunted game and brought it to me? I ate all of it before you came, and I have blessed him, and indeed he shall be blessed. When Esau says, When Esau heard the words of his father, he cried with an exceedingly great and bitter cry, and said to his father, Bless me, me also, O my father. But he said, Your brother came with deceit and has taken away your blessing. And Esau said, He is not rightly named Jacob, is he not rightly named Jacob, for he has supplanted me with these two these two times. He took away my birthright, and now look, he has taken away my blessing. And he said, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? Then Isaac answered and said to Esau, Indeed I have made him your master, and all his brethren I have given to him as uh, servants with grain and wine I have sustained him what shall I do now for you my son and Esau said to his father have you only one blessing my father bless me me also O my father and Esau lifted up his voice and wept and then Isaac his father answered and said to him behold your dwelling shall be the f- of the fatness of the earth and of the dew of the heaven above by your sword you shall live and you shall serve your brother And it shall come to pass when you become restless that you shall break his yoke from your neck. The commentary on this in the New Testament is found in the book of Hebrews in chapter 12. And here the Holy Spirit as he breathes out the words to this letter goes further and talks about Esau. And says lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau. Esau was known before God as a profane person. He had gone out and married two heathen women. Um, He did not have any desire, really. He wanted the blessings of God, but he didn't want to be a God follower. And look what he says. Who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. He'd done that before. He sold his birthright to his brother for for a mess of some porridge. That was essentially what he did. And now... He's lost the blessing of his father. He says, For you know that after when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. And may I just challenge you on this thought as we close off today. There comes a time, if you say no to God, and you do not repent and turn to Him, that it comes to a point where you will not find space to repent anymore. Now, I'm not God, and I don't know where that point is, but I have seen it in people. I have seen it in people, some of them, who did want the blessings of God. They wanted to live in peace. They wanted to to breathe in His air that He gives for our lungs. By the way, everything in this whole creation, this whole cosmos, is held together by the Lord. He is the one who sustains all things, and it's Christ. Colossians chapter 2 talks about that. The sustainer of all things. And there's lots of people walking around today 
living by their own rules, living by their own feelings, living by in their own sin, and they don't want they want the blessings of God, but they don't want the righteousness part and the part that means repenting from our sins and trusting Him by faith. But you'll never have the blessings of God eternally unless you repent and turn to Him in faith. Sadly for Esau, even though he came to his father and and felt bad, he had no place to repent. It was done. It was over. And the saddest thing that could ever happen to a person, I think, and, and this is beyond the here and now in this world, but to go before a holy God someday, stand before his white throne judgment, and to say, uh, Lord, I, I, I want heaven, but finding that there's no place for you in heaven. Because you rejected the only one who could have gotten you there, which is Jesus. For there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Don't be that one who, by delaying and not repenting, decides that I maybe I'll find it later on. Because guess what? You may come to that point where there is no space to repent anymore. There is no more time. Or time has run out and it's over. Don't be that one. Repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what the first message ever preached to the church in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2. It says, Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The message there Peter had was repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Baptism was an outward sign of what had already gone on inside. And here Peter connects repentance and faith together. They go together. And it always is. Because we're turning from our sin in an entirely different direction. We're turning to Christ. Baptism, and by the way, he doesn't teach here baptismal regeneration. That if you're baptized, your sins are washed away. That's not what it's saying. The word for is the Greek word ice. And it simply means because of. People are baptized because their sins have been forgiven. And they're publicly identifying with Christ. They're taking his name publicly. It's a good name. Let's keep it a good name. Let's pray. God, we are thankful today for your word. And Lord, I'm thankful that you were never done with any of the people that were mentioned in this text we read about today. Neither Jacob nor Esau. Lord, thank you for how even in times where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. And Lord, we're recipients of such great grace and mercy. And I pray again today, Lord, if there's anybody here that is a stranger to you, that even now you'd convict them of their sin and that they would repent and turn to you. And before it's too late, thank you for salvation so rich and so free. In Jesus' name, amen.